Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Father, as we open this word now, would you stir our hearts? Jesus, I need my heart to be stirred. My heart is so often cold and callous and anxious or distracted or easily entertained by frivolous things. Lord, would you stir my heart and would you refasten my affections to Jesus? Lord, would you do the same for my friends, those that know you and those who have yet to truly know you? God, would you be so kind as to give the gifts of repentance and faith? Would you bring life where there is death? Would you bring joy where there is stress? And would we leave this place today saying, surely I have seen the Lord. I pray that you do these things for your glory and the good of your people and the salvation of those that do not yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're using a Bible in front of you, in the chair in front of you, uh, maybe you didn't bring your Bible today or maybe you don't have a Bible, you're welcome. I encourage you to use that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you you can take that Bible. Um, Word on the street is that we're going to maybe replace those Bibles sometime in the near future with some actually nicer Bibles. I don't know. That's what I hear. It's what's kind of floating around in the air. Um, But you're welcome to take one of those Bibles and use it as your own if you don't have one. And if you don't know where Mark is, that's on page 588 of that Bible. And um, I don't know what page it is in the Bible that you brought with you if you don't know where Mark is, but it's the second gospel. It's the second book in the New Testament. All right, well, let me read verse 35. We're going to just kind of chop it up and comment along the way. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. A couple things there that just crack me up. Every time I read about when Jesus gets up early in the morning, three or four years ago, Reynolds and Will Hawk and I went to a pastor's conference up in Minnesota, Desiring God Pastor's Conference, and Reynolds and I are approaching, we're kind of like old men. You know, we go to bed at like 8 or 8.30, and we wake up at 4 o'clock and go get coffee at Hardee's. I mean, that's just, you know, we're, that's just kind of our schedule. And we took Hawk with us, who has like the 180 degrees reverse circadian rhythms, and so Hawk, you know, it was 8, 9 o'clock at night, and Reynolds and I are, like, powering down, and he's wanting to go walk around Minneapolis and, you know, go just, just it was 5 degrees outside. It was February. Um, but then, you know, he, we were dragging. He was making fun of us, like, God, you old guys, you go to bed at 8.30. But then in the morning, like, we'd get up and be ready to go to the session, and, and seeing Will early in the morning... Um, dragging out of bed was a special delight. And so, Will, wherever you are sitting, um, it, that Jesus, we, Reynolds and I were just following Jesus' example here <laughs> and rising very early in the morning. But listen to this, though. This word where it says that Jesus went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Think about what, what's, what's going on here. Jesus has really started off with a flurry of activity. He's been baptized by his cousin. He's called these early disciples to follow him, and then he, he exercises a demon in the synagogue. He heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. And then it says, as we looked at last week, he healed all of these people who were sick with various diseases. And so all of these people are now pressing in around Jesus, and he gets up in the morning 
when all of these expectations and all of these responsibilities that are now on him as this person who, who obviously has this, this power to heal and these people are surrounding him, he goes off to a desolate place. Now, friends, that word desolate place in the original language that, that the New Testament was written in is the same word that's used in, in verse 12 of chapter 1 where it says that the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. And so when it says that Jesus now is getting up early in the morning to go to a desolate place. It's, it's, he's going to the wilderness. So he's not just going to, you know, like a quiet corner in the room. He's going out like he's going. I mean, that takes some work to get up in the morning and to go to a, a desolate place. I want us to see a picture here about Jesus' dependence on the Father. Remember, we've talked about Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity was not created, has always existed. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect triune harmony from eternity past to eternity past. Now Jesus coming in the flesh now is picturing and modeling for us this complete dependence. And so it says in verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them in verse 38, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. I mean, wouldn't you? That's kind of, it almost sounds a little unconcerned. Remember, get into the scene now. These people are pressing around Jesus. These first four disciples have been called to follow him, and Jesus, their, their, their decision to follow him seems to be working out. He's exercising demons. He's healing everybody in the town that has sickness, and now he's getting this notoriety and popularity. People are coming out to the countryside in Galilee and Capernaum to come receive and to be healed, and yet Jesus says a rather unexpected thing. He says, no, no, Let's go on to the next town because I have to preach there also. A couple things that just jump out to me. It tells me that Jesus sees his mission as more than just meeting temporary physical needs. But he has this teaching ministry about the gospel and the kingdom of God that was his ultimate primary mission. And it also speaks to me just about, about his, his dependence on the Father. When Jesus was pressed, Jesus, this is Jesus, now God in the flesh, Everybody's expecting and wanting Jesus to meet their need, pressing in around him. What does Jesus do? He escapes to the Father in prayer. If Jesus was dependent on the Father, how much more dependent should we be? Um, Before we move on to Jesus' encounter with the leper, I just want to take an opportunity just to speak to you a little bit about my personal experience and and really failure in this area recently. As we started this church seven years ago and um, we could fit this church in my living room when we started and um, over the past seven years and especially over the past couple years as we've moved into this building, the church has grown. Um, Certainly not because of any gifting in us but I think just because of God's providence and his word and his will. Uh, But as the church has grown, um, and as we have faced this situation with this shopping center being in bankruptcy and the owners being in bankruptcy, and how that has sort of produced a little bit of unknown about what our future is here, 
it, it has kind of been a little bit of a storm of pressure and expectation and that has sort of hit me. And as I've kind of reflected on it this week as I was looking at my life and my leadership as a pastor of this church, I, I thought about the things that have been on me, like Jesus has these things on him, just the complexities of, a, of leading a growing church, the complexities of pastoral care, the, the changing dynamics and expectations from being very accessible to 50 to 70 to 100 to 150 people to not just quite frankly, not being as able to be as accessible to six or seven hundred people. And then the, just the unknown aspect of our, of our building and, and on an infinitesimally smaller level, I have felt a, a sort of pressing on me these past months and maybe even year. And quite frankly, I have escaped into anxiety and restlessness, whereas Jesus here is, is calling us and calling me, he's calling us to escape into the Father in prayer. And, and I feel like, to a large degree, I need to stand before you, and as I read this text, and as I feel convicted about Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that he needed to get away and to escape into God, and as I look at my little, again, infinitesimally smaller situation, how it has caused me to really escape into anxiousness and restlessness and worry rather than God, I feel like I need to, as Paul tells Timothy, to, to, to really stand before you. And he tells this young pastor, he says, let everybody see your progress in the faith. And in this situation, I, le- need, to let you, I need to let you see my lack of progress and to repent to you. And to say that in God's kind providence, in a time when I have felt uh, the weight of ministry uh, somewhat crushing, the Lord has brought this, this passage and this picture into my heart to, to encourage me to escape to the Lord. What about you? Um, because see, we all, we all have our situations, you know? I mean, we, all, we all have our scenarios that crowd us and crush us. Um, what, is, what weight is on you right now, and where are you escaping to? Are you escaping into some sort of counterfeit, uh, broken outlet? Or are you like me, escaping sort of inward, withdrawing yourself, fe- feeling like, oh gosh, what, how is this going to go? Or are, are you, like Jesus has given us this beautiful picture, are you escaping to, to the Lord? And wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, just let this picture be the Lord's kindness to remind you. And let, let yourself repent. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said when he nailed the objections that he had against the Catholic Church in 15 the early 1500s, and he wrote those 95 95 statements or thesis. His first that kicked off this little thing we like to call the Protestant Reformation said that repentance isn't just the beginning of the Christian life. It's the whole of the Christian life. When life presses in on you, where do you escape to, friends? If you find yourself escaping into yourself, or into some destructive thing, 
And praise God, that has not been my case. I have been escaping into myself, which is just as sinful. But wherever you find yourself escaping, friends, um, see this picture of Jesus, the Son of God, escaping to the Father. Well, let's keep reading. Now he says in verse 39, and we, he went throughout all of Galilee. So he didn't stay, like he didn't stay in the, the desert. He re-engages. God, God, as he meets with the Father in prayer, it re-engages his soul. And he, he's, I mean, I can, we can only imagine it's not recorded for us there, but that incredible communion and time with God that he spends, he now comes back from that and he's on mission and now he goes to the next town that he preaches there also in verse 39. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then we see in verse 40, this beautiful encounter of Jesus with a leper. Verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Okay, now before we go and we talk about this encounter, I think we've got to understand, a couple. we've got to do a little bit of background into leprosy. Leprosy, which I don't think too many of us are familiar with in our day, because I guess certainly it still exists, but leprosy in biblical times was a sort of word that covered just about any skin disease. In fact, I was reading some commentaries on this, and there would be probably 70 or 80 different ailments that would fall under this category of leprosy. And a leper in biblical times, and especially in Old Testament times, there were very strict and precise laws on how a leper was to conduct themselves in the community and how they were to be cleaned if they could be healed and cleaned and what they were supposed to do. In fact, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 are a very graphic, it's two chapters in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13 and 14, incredibly graphic, kind of reads like, a, like an ancient dermatology manual. And so if you're a little queasy and your stomach's a little light, um, just go read Leviticus 13 or 14 for a little afternoon snack this afternoon and uh, delight yourself in that beautiful description of all sorts of boils and pus and ugh, ugh, it's in there. But in Leviticus 13, towards the end of that chapter, it prescribes how a leprous person is supposed to conduct themselves. And let me read this, Le Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, it says that the leprous person, and again, that... That covers more than just classical leprosy. It's, it's a whole bunch of different ailments and skin diseases. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Right? So, so leprosy is more than just a disease. It's a life sentence. It, it's causing this person that has this disease to be a social outcast. And in the eyes of this people, it was very likely a result. They thought it was a result of some divine judgment for their sin. In fact, we see traces of this. Remember in John chapter 9 where that man was born blind and the religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, whose sin caused this? Was, was this man born blind because of his parents' sin or somebody else? So they're, they're linking any sort of disease to like a divine judgment for sin. And certainly that was the mindset of these people that, that they were leprous. This person had leprosy because of some divine 
judgment. And it was more than just a disease. It meant that they were cast outside of the camp. They were social outcasts. And, and like, unlike we would do, it's kind of the reverse. Like if we have a disease or an ailment, we would try and cover it some way. Like if you had some, some thing on your, you know, some skin disease on your arm, I would imagine that even in summertime, you'd wear a long sleeve shirt. Or if maybe you had some you know, thing on your head, you'd want to grow your hair out or whatever it is. But in this case, they're not, the, the, the law is prescribing for these people not to hide their disease, but to actually make it even more evident that there was something wrong with them. They're saying, tear your clothes, mess up your hair, and when you get to the edge of the city of the inhabited places, scream out, unclean, unclean. And if a leper were to break these laws, they might find themselves being clubbed to death for breaking the law because whatever they touch, see, it was more than just them breaking the law. The thinking was that whatever they touch becomes unclean because there's more than just disease here. There's ceremonial uncleanness before the Lord at stake here. And so for this leper, let me read verse 40 again. For this leper to approach Jesus is an incredibly bold move. Let me read verse 40 again. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, remember what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to cover his lip, tear his clothes with his head messed up, and to yell, unclean, unclean, not so that he can approach people, so that when he's coming onto the scene to get food or whatever, everybody else can scatter. But he comes up to Jesus, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. I want you to just get a picture and I want us to get in this moment and see how, how bold and really scandalous it is for this leper to do this. I mean, he's, he's risking death by doing this. Well, I grew up in Southern California and so we have our share of crazy people in Southern California. I think you know that. That's well documented. And one of my favorite things about growing up, going to San Diego Padre games and San Diego Charger games and Los Angeles Dodger games is that in California in the late 70s, you have crazy people. And in an arena that large for a Charger game or a Dodger game uh, with a bunch of people from Southern California and adult beverages flowing uh, rather loosely from the tap at the concession stand, just about every time you're going to get a crazy person to jump onto the field and run out in between innings or in between a quarter, you know, to just try and go touch Dan Fouts or Steve Garvey or whoever. I know those names don't mean anything to those of you that are under the age of 30, but they were great players back in my day. And one of my favorite things as a kid, I would, I would go to the game hoping that some crazy guy would jump onto the field because I would just love it if there was some linebacker for the Chargers who in between during a TV timeout, some crazy person climbs over the rail, runs across the field to try and touch Dan Fouts or somebody, and just to see this linebacker just track this guy down, get the angle on him, and boom, clip him. I mean, that, was just, that just made it for me. Like, yes. And now think about this, this leper. Like, he is asking to be taken out by people with sticks to club this guy for breaking this law for being this bold to run out onto the turf where he should not have been. But there's something in this leper 
who recognizes that Jesus is the only one that can truly meet his need, that he will climb over the railing. He doesn't care what linebacker crushes him in the middle of it because he's got to get to Jesus. Friends, get in that scene. This isn't just another day in the life of Jesus where, oh, well, obviously his power is clear. Friends, this, this is a huge moment where this man breaks through everything that he should have been subordinate to and comes up to Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And unlike the linebacker who cut somebody in half, this is what Jesus says to this man in verse 41. Moved with pity. Some translations say moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Like, think about this. Now, Jesus could have just with a thought cured this man. But Jesus touches the man who is untouchable. He stretches out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately, verse 42, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to no one, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a reproof to them. So Jesus, again, is concerned, just like he told the demons not to speak about him. He's very concerned about not just public notoriety for his power, but he has a, a deeper thing in mind here, his mission. And so he doesn't want people to just flock to him because he can heal. He wants to spend time unfolding his teaching and message about who he is. And so he doesn't want this early notoriety. So he tells this man to be quiet and sternly charges him to go and show yourself to Moses and do what it says you should do in Leviticus 14, to go to the priest. It's kind of like a public, priest had a lot of different duties in those days, and they were like a public health official was one of their duties, and, and one of the duties of the priest would be to examine people that had leprosy to see if they were cured and then deem them worthy to be clean and to come back into the community. And so Jesus has more in his heart than just this man's cleansing, he has his social rehabilitation in his mind. But let's get back to verse 41. It says that Jesus moved with compassion, stretches out his hand, touches this man and says, I will be clean. Now, friends, this is a complete reversal of everything we know to be naturally true. In any other situation, when something unclean touches something that's clean, the unclean contaminates the clean. Come on, think about it. Everything. I don't care whether it is a toilet seat on, in a bad restroom on a family vacation and you've got to stop there and your wife doesn't want to use it. I don't care. I mean, unclean makes something that's clean unclean, not the other way around. I don't care if you're a kid in elementary school and you don't want to sit next to the boy with cooties on the bus. Or, or if you're like me, when, when your mom would make the dreaded vegetable for dinner and you didn't want anything to touch and so you didn't want the meat or the potatoes to touch the vegetables and God forbid that the vegetables actually touch the potatoes because if the vegetables touch the potatoes before they got in your mouth, it, oh, you can't eat it now. Because, because in your mind, that which is unclean when it touches which, that which is clean, it always makes the clean unclean. But here we see a complete reversal of that truth in Jesus. This is the only place in nature, in the world, in, in our understanding of anything where that which is clean makes that which is unclean clean. 
Do you see the power and the beauty of Jesus? And he does it not just through her word. He touches, he makes physical contact with this man and he reverses everything that we know to be true about contamination. And rather than the uncleanness contaminating Jesus, Jesus' cleanness and righteousness contaminates this man and makes him whole. Friends, the implications and the application for this is obvious. That when Jesus, first of all, you don't have to be clean to get to Jesus. You just have to get to Jesus in all your uncleanness. And he does the cleaning, friends. Do you see that? And do you see that there is no person beyond the cleanliness of Jesus? That when Jesus touches somebody, no matter how unclean or how unworthy, no matter what they've done, no matter what they did in high school, no matter what they did early on in their marriage, no matter what they did in front of that computer two weeks ago, no matter what they did with that money, no matter what they did, when Jesus, who is clean, touches our soul, which is unclean, the unclean becomes clean, not because of anything in the unclean but because of everything in the only one who is truly clean and that's Jesus do you see that friends the applications are enormous and some of you say well Brad I get that I got the gospel but friends do you see how we carry remnants in our hearts even after coming to Christ where we believe that we've got to sort of demonstrate our cleanness for Jesus to accept us or to get close to him and friends that's a complete reversal of what this is telling us Here's the truth, is that we are all lepers. Are we not? It's just harder to see our own leprosy because we live in a leper colony called the human race. And the great and glorious news of the gospel is is that we do not have to clean ourselves. We just need this leper's we need to be bold enough to run out on the field and risk getting tackled by the linebacker of social humility to get to Jesus. And he says in verse 45, this is beautiful, and I end with this. It's just such a beautiful picture. Verse 45, but he went out This is the leper who Jesus told not to do this, but he just, man, he's he's just so excited about it, he can't can't obey. Let me read 45, then I'll comment on this. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in a desolate place, and people were coming to him from every corner. So see this picture, friends. This is... A beautiful picture, not only of Jesus' power to heal and cleanse and restore, but it's a beautiful picture of what happens at the cross. Okay, so let's get back to the beginning of this scene. Jesus was in the inhabited places, and the leper who was unclean was in the desolate places out on the wilderness, outside the camp, as was prescribed to him by Leviticus chapter 13. And we see... A reversal. We see Jesus trade places with this leper. This leper comes and Jesus touches him. And now Jesus, because of the notoriety, is outside the camp in the desolate places. And the leper is restored now inside the camp. And 
that even there is just a beautiful foreshadowance of the cross of what happens. Jesus goes to the cross and he bears our reproach. He becomes the scapegoat. He becomes the one that bears our sin so that we who were outside the camp with our sin and our uncleanness can now be restored back into the community of God. So do you see this, that Jesus trades places with the lepers and he trades places with us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, who's righteous and holy and without sin, become sin for us so that we who are completely unholy and unrighteous and with sin can be the righteousness of God. And just as Jesus trades places with us on the cross, he trades places with this leper. So the question is, friends, as we, as we prepare to respond to Jesus, um, where are you running to? And do you see the power of Jesus to clean? Do you find the burden of life and responsibility and even your own frailty? Is it crushing you to cause you to go inward? Are you realizing even just in the past hour or so that you are a million miles away from God and if we could unpack your suitcase there would be all sorts of uncleanness in your life and really coming to church and just hearing about how you should be clean has actually added to your to your shame because you see we you've you've misinterpreted the message of the gospel or maybe you've heard it presented wrongly that you know you've got to clean yourself you've got to clean yourself when in reality, the, the message that we get from the Gospels and from the Bible and from this beautiful little snapshot of the Gospel is, is that we are all unclean. We are living in a leper colony. And the only one who can make us clean is Jesus. And Jesus is willing to make you clean. He is willing. Will you run to Jesus right now? That's, that's the question. Will you run to Jesus and here's the deal, friends. On Sunday morning in the South, you can come dressed up and you can look good. You can hold your Bible the right way. You can say the right words. But there are people in this room who have not yet run to Jesus. Will you risk whatever awkwardness that is between you and Jesus, who's the only one that can make you clean, to run to him? To run to him. And if you're already a Christian and you are being crushed by expectations and you have sort of gone, you've drifted back in your mind and you have sort of lost sight of the power and the compassion and the beauty of the cleanliness of Jesus and although you've trusted in him long ago, now your life has sort of reverted back into this sort of deal where you've got to continue to prove yourself where it crushes you and you need to get away and you need to run to Jesus. Where, where are you, friends? So whatever the case, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, the heartbeat here of this passage and the call of God to everyone, to whosoever will hear, is to run to Jesus who is the only one who can make you clean and keep you clean and present you clean before the Father on that day. What's between you and jumping over the guardrail to get to Jesus? Friends, the answer to that question is nothing but our own stubborn, proud hearts. So friends, friends, run to Jesus right now who is the only one who can make you clean. For some of you, that means turning away from yourself and turning away from sin and looking to Jesus and seeing that beautiful one. And for others like me who have 
when life is pressed in, run into themselves in worry and anxiety. You need to run again afresh to the willing Jesus who alone has what we need. Friends, let's now respond to him and worship this willing Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, Father, as we prepare to sing a few songs and for some of us to come and receive communion, to remember you and to examine our lives, Lord, I confess, I, I repent. I'm, I, I so often find myself like a leper who has been cleaned but been cleaned by grace and been cleaned by the gospel through no merit of my own but then but then I'll find myself feeling like I've got to earn my cleanliness when there was nothing that I did to get it in the first place Lord I repent of that Lord, would you help us scale? Would you help us move past whatever? whatever it, it, it's not something we can do. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something you give us. It's a faith that you give us to break outside of the crowd and to run to Jesus. And so, God, would you, would you give that oomph, that spiritual desire that only comes from you for the person in this room who is stuck in sin, who is stuck? stuck in their little rut. God, would you give them the desire to go to Jesus and implore him like this leopard, Jesus, touch me. For the father who is, who is stuck in sin, Lord, for the, for the single girl whose heart is weary, God, would you give them the desire to run to Jesus who is the only one who can satisfy our soul. God, would you do that. I'm not asking, Lord, that I would deep down and dig deep and play hard in the fourth quarter. God, I'm not, I'm not asking these friends here, Lord, to muster up some sort of effort, Lord. I'm asking you, Father, to give even the very desire that we need to go to Jesus. Lord, God, would you do that so that it's grace from beginning to end, God, so that it's all you, all glory goes to you, God. Would you even give us the desire that we need to go to Jesus, Lord, and say to him, make me clean, either for the first time, Jesus, or afresh today in your grace. Lord, would you do that for my friends and for me as we respond to you? In Jesus' name, amen.